As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Soccer Show and our review of the Champions League group stages. Juventus and Barcelona wanted to experience a new European competition and they're getting one thanks to their third place finishes. A third place finish meanwhile would have been an improvement for poor old Atletico Madrid. Meanwhile Tottenham, Eintracht Frankfurt and Benfica all earned clutch wins to aid their progress. Bayern Munich were as dominant as we would expect. Group B looks like it kind of finished upside down and Celtic and Rangers prove that Scottish soccer is still terrible. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today to discuss the biggest domestic competition in the world is the best podcast panel in the world, Taylor Rockwell. Hello, sir. Hello. I'll take that one to start. Thank you for that. You're very, very welcome. Joining us, Taylor, a man who's preparing his popcorn to talk about Barcelona and Juventus, Joe Lowry. Is it nice and warm? It is. It's nice and warm. I'm here for it. I also like how you just absolutely hucked all of Scotland under the bus in the intro. (laughs) And you're coming to Graham last. That, Ryan, is smart work on your part. Well, actually, Joe, I'm coming to Graham in fourth place, which is quite apt for someone who's in Glasgow right now. Graham, hello. Hello, Ryan Bailey. Yes, it's it's nice to be welcomed back from my break with a a warm embrace. All four of us are back on the show today. And I was, uh, I was expecting something a little bit warmer than this criticism of my entire country's footballing pedigree and history. But thanks. Thank, thank you, Mr. Bailey. Oh, you're welcome, Graham. It's nothing less than you deserve. You're quite welcome, sir. <laughs> um, this is brave, this is brave talk from Engl- an Englishman ahead of a World Cup. You do realize the World Cup starts in like 18 days? Oh, I do, Graham. And do you know what else is happening in 18 days? Do you want to tell the boys and girls? We're doing a live show. Yay! Oh my God. We are. Brooklyn, November 20th. Why don't you come and see us, guys? Ticket link is in the description. We got in the plug earlier than usual in the show. Congratulations for setting me up for that one, Graham. Thank you. You could hear you could hear the dismay in Graham's voice, and he realized that he set himself up to have to do that. Good stuff, guys. Good stuff. <laughs> but seriously, come to our live show. It's going to be great. Yeah, do please. Yes. Yeah. Um, Graham, I saw in the news today that Scotland is going to be hosting England at Hampden Park in Glasgow uh, next year as part of the 150th anniversary celebrations of their first match in 1872 that game which ended nil nil is recognized as the world's first or world's mm. oldest international game so that's nice scotland got something to look forward to there isn't that good that first ever match was played at a cricket ground yeah. um so it feels like it, it shouldn't be, be being played at hamden actually cricket ground would be better than hamden i'm not a, a, a big fan of hamden park so yeah let's try and move that game to to a cricket ground if we can please uh, with a circular field yeah why not Excellent. i might win that game <laughs> I like the sound of that. Well, why don't we get straight to talking about the Champions League action? The group stages have concluded for yet another year. Pretty good, by all accounts, I would say. Why don't we start off, though? Um, Joe, I'd like you to, uh, before your popcorn gets too cold, why don't we start with the subject of Barcelona and Juventus, who are heading to Thursday night soccer how surprising, Joe, is their lack of progress here? Uh, Allegri, um, I, I liked his quote after um, after the group stage concluded, we have to try to go to the Europa League. It's a beautiful competition. <laughs> Nicely dressed up there. Yeah, cool. 
That's well played, though, on Allegri's part. That is like, you know, if you don't really know what's going on and you don't know that the Europa League is a worse competition than the Champions League, and I'm not sure there's a lot of folks listening to this, listening to Allegri that would know that, then if you are one of those two people, that's a great quote. Like, it sounds very smooth. It's a beautiful competition. Allegri is doing his best to spin this as best he can. Ryan, I don't think, frankly, I don't think it's that surprising. I, I do think it is surprising. I'm not sure it's, like, crazy shocking out of this world. Barcelona finishing third in Group C. Juventus finishing third in Group H. Uh, shoot, was it was it third or fourth? Sorry, maybe my notes are wrong. Which was third. it? Okay, it was third. Perfect. I mean, these teams, both of them, are dealing with different struggles. So Barcelona, in my mind, had the significantly harder group to get out of. They had Bayern Munich and Inter Milan in their group. Two excellent teams. Bayern far better, but Inter still very capable. And we saw that in the games that Inter had against Barcelona. Juventus had PSG and Benfica, who are, are strong, and Benfica especially are beatable, though. And we'll talk more about how, how good they've been in this competition later. But, I mean, they had a, a, an easier group to get out of. PSG very attack-heavy, but also vulnerable in a lot of different ways. So, for me, it, it, this was worse sporting-wise for Juventus. But Barcelona, man, seeing how they shot themselves in the foot over and over again in this group stage is a concern. But to go back again to your question, I'm not really sure it's a surprise. Okay. Anyone else surprised? Tyler, you surprised? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty surprised. I hear what Joe's saying, but I think... Like you're definitely right about Bayern Munich. Let's go, let's go to uh, that group for a moment. Group C. Bayern uh, no- notorious for not dropping points at all in the group stage. I don't know the, when the last time they lost a group stage game was, but it's been a while. So th- definitely giving uh, Barcelona like not too much credit or not too much blame for losing those two games. Though you would expect them to get a point or two. Um, but then when it comes to Inter, it's an Inter team that themselves have had shaky times in the Champions League, shaky times in the league. And I think for the amount of investment Barcelona had in, it felt like they were going for it this season. And so I understand what Joe's saying, but I also think that when they spent the money they did, they pulled the levers they did, they brought in the personnel they did, there's an expectation that they make it out of that group. And so in that way, though there are plenty of reasons why I think they didn't, uh, uh, make it to the next round that aren't as surprising. Still, I think that was definitely their plan. And so for them not to have achieved that plan with the amount of spending they, they had and did is a bit of a surprise to oh. me. The Juve one is the other one that I think, like, it's not just that they didn't make it out of the group. Sometimes that happens. Results don't go your way. It's that they finish with three points. And that to me, is just insanity for a club of their stature uh, to to and the again they spent some money themselves they brought in key players in January and this summer. Vlaovic has not been like the end all be all difference maker the way say or like Holland has been for Man City. So I think you then have to have other players stepping up and you look at that midfield which at times just doesn't have maybe the strength that I expected it to. I definitely thought it was going to be PSG and Juve battling out for top spot. For it to be Juve in third with three points is is definitely a bit of a surprise to me. Now I go to Joe okay, uh, yeah. to, for that Thank argument you. to be ripped apart. Well, no. So, Taylor, before the year started, I did expect Juve to get out of this group, right, when they were drawn. But, I mean, we've known they're bad for months now. We did a whole Big Thing episode about how bad they are. So from where I sit now, looking back, I'm not at all surprised that they don't make it out of this group. I'm not very surprised that they don't make it out of this group. Because they're just not playing good soccer, right? There's a whole bunch of things that aren't working. They're dealing with injuries. They're just not playing well right now. And then on the Barcelona side, I'm not trying to say that it wasn't their plan to get out of the Champions League group stage. Of course they were trying to get out of the Champions League group stage. But you look at the squad, and you look at their group. This squad was built while they were trying to fly it, while they were also trying to duck FFP and pull like eight different levers with their fingers and toes at the same time. I mean, I just don't think we can be fully shocked that this Barcelona team had something chaotic slash bad happen to them, given that that's sort of become their brand in recent history. (laughs) I still love watching Mm. this Barcelona team because they have that perfect blend of genuine attacking quality. I think they are one of, if not the best possession teams in the entire world right now, but they're just open enough defensively. And Graham, this is where you thrive on the Eric Garcia train. They're just open (laughs) enough defensively and and mistake prone on an individual level. And that's really key for me. To, to make this like maybe not quite as surprising as it otherwise would have been. At least Barcelona have some sort of idea of what they want to be, and, and they might not have the, the players to make that system work. Uh, shots fired at Eric Garcia there, but there is, there is, a, there is a framework there. Um, I think Juventus are, are in a completely different phase of, of their rebuild to Barcelona in that they haven't even identified the problems yet. So in Barcelona terms, it feels like Juventus still have Ronald Koeman in charge. And while they know that something clearly isn't working, they don't, they don't quite know what they want to replace that with yet. 
whereas it feels like Barcelona have at least gone through that first phase of that transition. It feels like they've got buy-in from fans and players with what Xavi is trying to do. And I think that's, that's important for Barcelona because had, have, if they had, um, you know, Kiki Setien or Coleman or Ernesto Valverde in charge right now, I think the pressure would be huge. And there is pressure on, ja- on Xavi. He's been on the front page of, of the sports dailies in, in Spain. But it feels like he is going to get time to get things right. And as I say, there is a framework there. I, I just don't see any of that yeah. with Juventus. So it feels like they are very much at square one, whereas at least Barcelona, in an ideological sense, have have made some progress. Graham, can I have a metaphor clarification for a moment? Because I think what you just said w- was absolutely brilliant. I just want to make sure I understood it correctly. Are you saying Juve right now remind you of Barcelona under Ronald Koeman? And so it's basically Juve are being coached by Ronald Koeman in your mind? Yes, that is correct. There we go. Okay, wow. <laughs> that's that is outstanding. Times are bad. Yeah, Juve and Barca. <laughs> no, it makes with, total sense. Juve and Barca ten points between them in this group stage, and that Group H is so stark with Benfica and PSG getting fourteen points each, and Juve and uh, Maccabi Haifa getting three points each. That's, I don't remember that kind of disparity happening in a group stage uh, for many a year. Uh, Graham. Why don't we talk about uh, Atletico Madrid, who have failed to qualify mm. for the Champions League knockout stage and also failed to qualify for the Europa League, finishing fourth in Group B, which I noted uh, in my intro looks like it kind of finished upside down yeah. with uh, Leverkusen in third and Bruges and Porto going through in the top spots. That's not what we predicted when we uh, previewed this competition. No, certainly not in the case of uh, Atletico Madrid and, and and Club Bruges. I think Porto are, are quite a good team, so I, I would maybe disagree slightly there. But I, I take your general point that this group didn't finish as we predicted, or, or most people predicted it would. I don't really know where Atletico Madrid go from here. So their Champions League campaign was just an absolute disaster. They won just uh, one out of six fixtures in one of the the, le- the weaker groups on, on paper, you would say, Porto, Bayer Leverkusen, Club Bruges. That's a group that Atletico Madrid have the they should have had the quality and experience to get through the the paradox for Atletico Madrid at the moment is they're they're doing just about fine in, in La Liga their form has improved recently and they're now up to third place in the table they are still cut adrift from Real Madrid and Barcelona I don't think they're going to challenge those two for the title but in terms of their budget and resources that that is where you would place them third place in, in La Liga but this team was an absolute mess in the Champions League there was a stretch of three matches where Atletico Madrid they failed to score a goal and a single goal in those three games. And for context, their attack includes players like Antoine Griezmann, Morata, Matthias Cunha, Yao Felix, Angel Correa. And I mentioned this before in previous shows we've done. Simeone just hasn't found the right formula to get the best out of those attacking players. And some of the focus is now starting to turn on Diego Simeone himself. So the, 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 the Diego Simeone discuss, discussion is a, is a difficult one. Because on the surface, um, he kind of puts this team where they should be most seasons. So as I say, they're, they're third in the table right now. They finished third last season. They won the title just 10 years ago. And if you look at the last 10 seasons in the Champions League, this is only the second time that Atletico Madrid have failed to make it out of the group stages. And in those two se- uh, 10 seasons, sorry, they've made two finals, one semi-final and a quarter final. And that is still very much over the course of 10 years. And you factor in their league performance as well. And they've won two titles in that time. That's still very much a net overachievement. But when you watch Atletico Madrid at the moment, you just get a different impression about this team. They don't have much of, a, of an identity right now. The strong defence that obviously Simeone's best Atletico Madrid teams have been built on isn't there anymore. I wouldn't say the Metropolitano, the Wandanara Metropolitano, as you like to call it, Ryan Bailey. Mm. It's not as loud. It's not as formidable as it used to be. It feels like the connection between the fans and the, and the players and Simeone in particular has kind of um, been disrupted a little bit. And it feels like Atletico Madrid are going to have to make a decision at some point on, on Simeone because it's very similar to the situation. I'm not the first one to draw this comparison, but it feels like Arsenal towards the end of the Arsene Wenger age where they have to figure out whether that club has been lifted to such a point by Simeone that they can survive without him and actually take another step. And it was similar with Arsenal. They, need to, they needed to work out whether it was time for, for Wenger to go and whether they could make those, that progression. And obviously that at the end of a season, they, they got rid of him. I'm not quite sure Atletico Madrid are at that point right now, but if they were to finish outside the top four in La Liga this season, which is a distinct possibility because you've got teams like Athletic Club and, and uh, Real Betis doing very well. So it's a possibility that they, not, may, they might not stay in third place. If that were to happen... You factor in these performances in the Champions League where it feels like Simeone's not getting the best out of his, out of his squad anymore, then, then that could be a, a real decision for them. Graham, who's the person at Atleti who has to tell Simeone when they make that decision? You tell him. <laughs> you tell him. Goodness me. 
they just leave my letter, you know, on a, on a desk. No one actually tells them in, in, in person or just a text message, yeah. I guess. Or they just ghost them. They just change the locks yeah. and, and just uh, pretend nothing happened. They change the locks and they take the numbers all off of all the other houses next door and, and down the street so that you can't tell where it is anymore. That's what they have to yeah. do. Yeah. And blur out the stadium on uh, Google Earth. <laughs> All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, let's talk about Napoli, who are doing rather well. Let's talk about Scottish teams, who are not, Can, and much, much Do we more. have to? Do we have to do that? <laughs> we do, we do. We'll, we'll touch on it briefly right <laughs> after these messages, Graham. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our Champions League group stage review. Let us talk for a moment about Napoli. Joe, you've said ever since I've known you that Napoli is your favourite team. And <laughs> this iteration is your favourite of the favourite teams. Is that right? Yeah, they're my boyhood club, obviously. Huh? I, don't, I don't know why this right, is Robbie Keane. so difficult for people to understand. It's never been Ajax. It's always been Napoli. I was the first Phoenix, one of the Valencia, four of us. Villarreal, uh, Amsterdam, Napoli, Joe Lowry. That, I sound that's well what traveled. I always called him. I sound well-traveled, and you forgot Porto. Anyway, oh, my bad, Napoli my bad. have been, in my <laughs> mind, one of the best teams in the Champions League so far. Like, maybe top two in the Champions League after or near Manchester City. You, we'll, we'll do top three, and we'll toss Bayern Munich in there as well. They have the second best expected goal differential in the Champions League so far through the group stage, only behind Manchester City. They've racked up more expected goals than any team in this competition so far. They've been excellent in the attack. I can give you those numbers, right? And I don't think likely any of those numbers surprise anyone because we've also watched this team play and they are dynamic with the ball. It's Cavaradana doing a bunch of fun stuff out on the left wing. It's Lozano stretching the right side. I mean, there's so much quality in this attack. They've done a great job of transitioning into this new era, right? No Insigne, he's gone playing in Toronto. Fabian Ruiz is gone. Kulubali's gone. Dries Merton is, is gone. Those are four key players from a previous era of Napoli. And so in comes Cavaradana. In comes Nombele. I mean, players are stepping up for this team. You have a number of different players. Gio Simeone stepping up to keep the Simeone line from last segment to this one. I am, I'm just endlessly impressed, and, and I am surprised. Maybe that means I wasn't paying enough attention in the offseason <laughs> over the summer to Syria and to Napoli. But I am surprised at how well Napoli have done in this competition. Mm. For them to do what they did in a really difficult group, I would add as well, with Ajax, who had a great run last year, with Liverpool. One of those three teams is going to miss out. And Napoli, sorry, to toss in Rangers as well, Graham. I'm not trying to take shots at Scotland, unlike Ryan. <laughs> this is a not tough group. As well. One of those three teams, likely Napoli, Liverpool, and Ajax, was always going to miss out, and Napoli made darn sure that it wasn't going to be them. I, I just think they're, this, they're, they're like this glorious anomaly where they're not backed by a sovereign wealth fund or, or a venture capitalist firm, and they're just really good at identifying talent, and they, and they have this old-school coach with new-school ideas and, and uh, Spalletti, and I just really love for Spalletti to win He's he's probably considered one of the the best ever Italian coaches of of his generation any, anyway. But he's never really won a a big title. He's never won a Serie A title. He's been in charge of uh, Roma and, and uh, Inter, Inter Milan, but he's never won the Serie A title. He's obviously never won a Champions League title. And I, and I would just love for him to do something like that this season because it feels like Napoli are very much, as I say, a bit of an anomaly in the modern game. And Spalletti is. Just this incredible character. He wears a Armani tracksuit to every match, like he's some sort of Miami beach retiree out for his morning <laughs> coffee and paper. And this week I learned he has a pet duck. How is this the first time I'm, I'm hearing this about Luciano Spalletti? That he has a pet duck and he, and obviously he feeds it every single day. And there's pictures of him. If you Google Spalletti duck, you will find him feeding his pet duck. Incredible. What, what a guy. What's, uh, do we know his name? 
Uh, I, I don't actually. Oh, <laughs> Original. <laughs> yes. Yes. He's the, he's the inspiration. Yeah. Uh, no, I want to echo everything that Graham, Graham and Joe have already said and just add, because we've talked about this Napoli team for, you know, since the beginning of the season as being this really fun, exciting attacking team, but also at the beginning of the season, a team that their own supporters were not convinced by yeah. because of those departures. And, and in comes somebody like Kinman Jay, the, the center back who, they bring in from Fenerbahce. Uh, he's a 25-year-old Korean center back who, when you think, oh, rock-solid uh, replacement for uh, Kulabali, you don't think a center back who's been in uh, Turkey. No disrespect to Turkey, but a little disrespect to Turkey. Uh, and, and so for him to come in and just deputize and do a great job and start regularly and not look like he is out of place at all, that type of recruitment, but also that type of squad harmony, I don't know how you do that in the face of so many people thinking this team's going to be bad. It's going to be another disappointing season. Why can't we keep hold of our best players? And here they are with a really strong recruitment strategy, it seems at least, because of how they've been able to go about getting undervalued assets, but then also, as Joe mentioned, Ndombele, to bring him in and, yeah. and have him rediscover some form. I think it's it's a testament to the club and certainly uh, to Sp- Spalletti and Donald Duck as well. Um, <laughs> a big update there, by the way. I just Googled it. Spalletti's duck is called Biancaneve, which is Snow White. Oh, cool. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. All right. Bit of a guys. letdown. Bit of a letdown, I'm going to say. Uh, you got to have like a pun in there or something. Come on. I want to see the duck at a game. That's what I want. Yeah, we all want On to top see of it. the toaster guy. Was that Mike the toaster? Can we get the duck chilling John on top the of the toaster? Come Sorry, on, Joe. John, my bad. John the toaster. And then we get the duck on top. I think there's something here, right? Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, sure. All right. Well, Napoli, they are through top of their group despite losing to a mid-table Premier League side on the last day of the season. Pew, pew, pew! Uh, Talking about shots fired, Graham, let's go to Scotland, shall we? Rangers! Officially the Champions League worst Mm. ever team, unfortunately. Um, Their first campaign in 12 years here, uh, rounding it off with a 3-1 loss to Ajax. Uh, Nil point for uh, Rangers here. Uh, They go out rock bottom of the group, of course. And Celtic also going out with a whimper here with their campaign ending with a 5-1 defeat at the Bernabeu. I've got to say, before you get into it, Graham, uh, Jota with that free kick uh, in the 82nd minute um, when Celtic are 5-1 down and he's running around like he's scored the winner. I thought that was tremendous. Yeah, why not? I mean, it's not like (laughs) Celtic are in the the Bernabeu very often if you score a goal there. I mean, if I scored a goal there, especially a goal as good as that one, it was, it was arguably the the best goal of the game. But, uh, yeah, I would celebrate it it as well. And I think there were. It was good, Graham, but it was, it had the energy of that meme of the guy like biting his medal and celebrating (laughs) when he stood on the podium. (laughs) I knew exactly what meme you were going to. Yes, it did have a little bit of, of that energy, but. 20,000 Celtic fans at the Bernabeu for that, for that game. So it it at least gave them something to. To, to shout about. And on the face of things, it was, let's start with Celtic first, right? So on the, on the face of things, it was a bad Champions League campaign for both Scottish clubs. Celtic finishing bottom of their group, of their group. They only finished on two points, which they would expect probably to, to get more of that, uh, more than that in, in that group. But I do think of their campaign in a very different way to, to Rangers campaign. So Celtic, they played some really nice stuff and, and every match that they played actually, all six games and all six games followed a very similar pattern where Celtic have pe- had periods of possession. They created chances even last night as they, as they, as they were beaten 5-1 in the Bernabeu. They had, they created chances. They obviously scored a goal. They didn't take those chances in most of those games. And then Celtic have this thing under Postacoglu just due to their intensity where they do drop off after about 60 or 70 minutes. And if you look at most of the games, they did concede a lot of goals in that period. So I think Celtic need to learn from this season. They have a very young team. I think injuries uh, didn't go in their favour. So Callum McGregor missing for three games. Cameron Carter-Vickers missed two or three games as well. And he's a very important player for them. So a little bit of luck as well um, might have seen things go a little bit differently. But I I think some naivety shone through in in their matches. And I'll be very interested to see if they perform any better next season if they're back in the Champions League group stage. If they win the the Scottish title again this season, they will be back at that that stage. And at the moment, they, they are the best team in Scotland so you would you would hazard a guess that they will be back in the competition next season as for Rangers um, I don't even know where to begin with how Rangers performed in the Champions League this season I don't think anyone predicted this Champions League campaign would go so badly for them um, in fact in our preview episode I think I said they might finish bottom but they wouldn't be blown away well that went badly for me and uh, and for Rangers in my own defence, this was a team that had reached the Europa League final the season before. They beat a strong PSV team to qualify for the Champions League in the first place, and, and, and they had experience. They'd been in the Europa League knockout rounds a number of seasons. 
and it's kind of difficult to work out what went so badly wrong for them because it all fell apart so quickly and it all fell apart so comprehensively that there wasn't an area of their team that worked well. They were poor in defence, they were poor in attack, they didn't have control of any games individually, their players were poor as well. So it, it really was a complete mess for Rangers. Some of the excuses that Van Bronckhorst gave for the performances were frankly a joke. So after the first defeat to, to Ajax, he came out and he said Rangers couldn't compete at Champions League level because of the financial gulf, basically throwing in the towel while Rangers still had five matches to play <laughs> and three of them at home um, where they'd been so good in the Europa League. And also, as a as a fan of a lower league team in Scotland, a Rangers manager complaining about a financial gulf is uh, is fairly ironic. I, I, I can't believe Van Bronckhorst didn't sense any irony in that. And then after the second Ajax defeat this week, he complained about Ajax having a couple days extra rest. Uh, believe me, that wasn't why they scored seven goals in two games against Rangers, was a couple <laughs> days extra rest. So some of the excuses from, from Van Bronckhorst were, were frankly laughable, and Rangers fans have kind of lost patience with him as well. Domestically, they're, they're still within touch of Celtic, so maybe he does get the season. But yeah, it feels like uh, a couple more missteps for for Van Bronckhorst, even with some of his uh, some of his press conference performances, and maybe it'll be a different manager for the start of next season at Rangers. Oh boy, oh boy! You hate to see it. Scottish teams um, whimpering. The thing out. is, though, though you you don't. Uh, I think that much is clear <laughs> by now. <laughs> oh, me personally, no, I love to see it. Graham, if we're talking about like both of these clubs maybe moving forward and what happens next, how excited would you be if? Uh, two players, or like one retired, one currently playing, went on, got their coaching badges, and returned. Would you like to see Rangers coached by Alfredo Morelos and uh, Celtic coached by Scott Brown? Yes, sign me would up for that right happy? now. I'm, okay. not, I'm not convinced that those teams would be any good, but yeah. for chaos, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. sign okay. me up for that, please. Let's do that. Cool. Oh, imagine having to work for Scott Brown. That would be rough, wouldn't it? Well, I mean, Fleetwood Towns player, players do. He has a manager, yeah. so... <laughs> Wow, yeah, rough one. Uh, talking about having a manager who is tough to work for, should we talk about Tottenham for a little bit? Um, through to the round of 16 as group winners uh, with a pretty uh, a, a, a clutch win in Marseille, should we call it that? Uh, bad news for Hoingmin's son, excuse me, who um, has a fractured eye socket and may not make uh, the World Cup yeah. campaign for South Korea. They play Uruguay on the 24th of November. That is not great. But Taylor, we've got this weird situation with Tottenham where yeah. they've gone through to the round of 16. They're in the top four of the Premier League, but all their fans think they're terrible. And I've watched a lot of their games and they don't turn up for half of them. It's a very strange situation. <laughs> It's it's the age-old dilemma, right, of when you have instability and fluctuation and results when you're a high-spending team or a relatively high-spending team, you, you then think, okay, you know what, I want to sacrifice this unpredictability. Sometimes we win 5-0, sometimes we lose 5-4, sometimes we lose 1-0. I want just consistent performances until you bring in Antonio Conte to win every game 1-0, and then suddenly that gets way less fun. And then on top of that, there has still been some unpredictability to this Tottenham team. Many jokes I've heard and seen uh, these days about, like, can we tell them that it's the second half when the game kicks off? Are there ways to convince them that you have to play both halves of a game? Because they are very much a second-half team. This game was no exception. Uh, it takes Marseille scoring the opener for Tottenham to kind of kick into gear and get those two goals. The late one from uh, Hoiberg was uh, excellent drama, but at the same time, I think further underlines the point you're making, Ryan, that there's there's about Tottenham this feeling of they're good, but then also they're bad at the same time, and I guess it balances out too. They're mostly good, but maybe not as impressive as their supporters would like. Yeah, yeah. and I, I think that is where this team is, Taylor. I think that's a really good way to phrase it, because you look at the squad, and I think in our Premier League preseason predictions, we all had them either third or fourth. I believe that was true. I could be wrong. Yeah, that's yeah. right where they are right now. They're third in the in the Premier League right now, and they get out of a, a very weird group in the Champions League, but they do end up topping the group, which when you look at the teams and you look at you know what they're spending and, and just the general clout behind them, Tottenham should top this group, right? They didn't make it particularly easy on themselves. The group order this past match day, I think on Tuesday it was, the group order changed seven times over the course of that particular you know 90-plus minute period earlier this week. At multiple points, Tottenham were second, depending on you know what the scoreline was in their game and in the other match. At one other time, they were third and, and basically out of the Champions League. And then the late goal that you mentioned, Taylor, from Hoiberg, seals it for them and they end up top. So they didn't make it easy on themselves. And I, I don't know that they're built to really make life easy on themselves. But I think when you look at this team and you look at Antonio Conte and you look at how they play, 
they're they're kind of playing within themselves right now. They could make the quarterfinals. I'd be surprised if they made it much further in this competition. They could finish third or fourth in the Premier League. And to me, that kind of feels like right about their ceiling right now. I think they're missing Kulisevsky quite a lot. So he's he towards yeah. the end of last season was their 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 source, the primary source of of creativity. I think looking at him being out injured at the moment, you would in hindsight perhaps say that Tottenham should have push the boat out for a, a creative midfielder a little bit more in the summer. Obviously, they were in the market for Christian Eriksen. Surprising that he didn't go back to Spurs, I guess, because he has that connection. He played for Antonio, Antonio Conte. He'd won a Serie A title with Antonio Conte. And so it was a little bit surprising he ends up at Manchester United and not Tottenham, Tottenham Hotspur, and especially now, a few months on, because I think we can all see that Christian Eriksen would improve that 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 Tottenham Hotspur squad. They do have some some good midfield options. I like Yves Basuma, even though he hasn't really played all that much under Conte. And there were some con- comments from Conte about his... Uh, tactical awareness which didn't exactly say Conte was terribly impressed with with Basuma but those three central midfielders of Basuma, Hoiberg and Bentoncourt they all kind of do similar sort of things and so I think a bit of variety would allow them to get more out of their attacking talent because if you look at the players that they've got Richarlison, Kane, Son, Moira, Kulisevsky when he's fit. I mean, that's one of the best attacks in the Premier League. So it kind of feels like they're missing the supply line. And if they were able to find that player in January, I do think that kind of fixes a lot of the problems that they're having and certainly might appease some of the fans that feel like this team should be playing a more attack-minded style of football. Yeah. yeah, we should note also missing Richarlison for a couple games. Uh, they're expected to get him back this week, but I'm guessing that has that also hasn't helped with the attacking fluidity of losing him and Kulisevsky definitely limits some options for Tottenham. Yeah, and going through with Tottenham, by the way, in Group D, let's give a shout out to Eintracht Frankfurt in their debut in this competition going through to the round of 16. They were fourth in the group at halftime on the final match day, and they had, they staged a second-half comeback against Sporting Lisbon. They scored twice in 10 minutes uh, to go through and knock uh, Sporting out at the same time. Uh, Joe, a, a pretty impressive turnaround for, for Eintracht there. Yeah, absolutely. This team has done some really awesome stuff like this story I think is one of the best in the Champions League they were certainly the beneficiaries of the chaos in Group D and this team I mentioned with Napoli earlier they've had a little bit more time maybe in some ways but they've undergone a a bit of a rebuild as well in 2019 they had Sebastian Haller, Ante Rebic and Luka Jovic for their Europa League run which they did make a deep run in the Europa League the next year those players were gone right so they they have had to rebound from losing key attacking players, then you add in Kostic as well, who emerged as a a really nice wide attacker for them, then he moves. So coming into this season, they make a couple of smart signings. I think they end up signing Mario Goetze, and all of a sudden they're in the round of 16. And that is, it's certainly not something I expected. I'm not sure that they're like barn burners in so many different ways, but you get to the round of 16, right? This is what Greg Berhalter talks about with the, the World Cup. You get out of the group, that's the first tournament. It's done. Now you're into the second tournament, and it's a little bit different because you have multiple legs of these competitions in the round of 16 in the Champions League, so there's less variance, there's less chaos that can happen, at least in some ways. So Frankfurt's life is is more difficult than it would be maybe in a single-leg elimination competition, but man, they have done their job getting out of this group, and I think they are, like I said before, one of, if not the best, I'd say one of maybe alongside of Club Bruges, the best like upset surprise stories of this competition. Very nice. There have been a few surprises. Let's talk about more of those after this quick break and much more. We'll be back in a mo. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our Champions League group stage review. Let's give another shout out to Benfica, by the way. A 6-1 win over Maccabi Haifa on the final group stage day to uh, beat 
PSG to the top spot in Group H, uh, equaling PSG's record they did, Graham. I don't know if you saw this. Uh, it went to the third tiebreaker, away goals scored in yeah. group matches. And uh, the 92nd-minute goal from uh, João Mario, who got the, the sixth goal for Benfica, was a long-range banger as well. Mm. And they were wearing their Wolves kits as well, which seems appropriate for a Portuguese team. So they were doing it in style, Graham. They were wearing their Wolves kits, and, and, and I very much enjoyed Yao Mario checking after he scored that. I don't know if you saw this, but checking after he scored that, that Benfica goal in, in, in stoppage time, he was checking whether they'd scored enough to top the group, and he was kind of, you know, he was, he was counting on his fingers, and clearly someone was communicating to the players how many goals that they, that they needed, and Benfica went out and, and did what they needed to do, and they were, they were excellent in, in the group stage. As a whole, I think they deserve to be mentioned as one of the most impressive teams in, in this season's Champions League so far. They went unbeaten in, in a group that included a very good PSG team and uh, Juventus. Not so good, but nonetheless, <laughs> lots of in, individual talent there. And uh, as I say, they, they topped uh, the group by scoring a, a sixth goal in stoppage time against Maccabi Haifa. And I just looked through that team and, and there's lots to like about about this team at the moment. I very much like the, the midfield partnership of Florentino and, and Fernandez. They do such a good job of anchoring things in, in the middle of the pitch. Rafa Silva, he's been in incredible goal-scoring form. Um, obviously, someone that we've seen over a number of seasons for Benfica, but he scored four goals in six Champions League group games this season. And then there's Gonzalo Ramos, Ramos who um, he only scored one goal in the Champions League this season. His, his domestic scoring record has been better, but he does so much to bring others like Rafa Silva and De- David Nares and, and uh, Yao Mario into the play and, and kind of conduct attacks for, for Benfica. I, I do kind of worry that their defence could get exposed against teams that, that like to get in behind. But you look at the two games that Benfica played against PSG, who are the most get-in-behind team in European football at the moment, and they, they drew both those games. And the way that they stopped PSG from just ripping them apart and getting in behind was they clogged that midfield, they stopped the supply line. Yes, they rode their luck at times, but... They have a they have a, a good tactical awareness. They're able to control games. I think Roger Schmidt has has done an excellent job there. Obviously, they made the Champions League quarterfinals last season. They they knocked out Joe's uh, previous favourite team Ajax in in the last sixteen. So they do have previous in this competition. It does feel like they're kind of they're kind of building something. And Portuguese football in general is in a good place because you look at Sporting Lisbon. They didn't disgrace themselves in this competition either. Um, Porto and Sporting Lisbon they maybe have more young players to get excited about, but Benfica maybe have the best mix of experience and youth and a manager yeah. who's building something and 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 yeah they they are they I don't have them as one of my front runners like a top 5 maybe even top 6 team in this competition but they they are a very dangerous second tier team that's how I look at them at the moment uh yeah quick follow up for me Graham uh, I think you laid it out really well there because when you initially said there's a lot to like about this Benfica squad I chuckled because I really wanted you to say there's a lot to like about this Benfica squad and then there's also Otamendi uh but you are absolutely <laughs> correct that though though he has at times been uh heavily criticized especially uh w- when he was with Manchester City it does feel like he has upped his game but also that Benfica make adjustments necessary to nullify their opponent like I mean this is what you're supposed to do in the game but it's really hard to do when you're in the Champions League playing teams uh, the caliber of PSG and Juve to sort of not leave your players out to dry, not leave them in situations that do expose those vulnerabilities, but ultimately get them playing as a unit. And I think that's where that blend of veteran and youth comes comes to fruition because you have to have the youth to kind of carry you through with the energy, cliche as it may be. You have to have the veteran presence to know when to slow it down, like when to step, when to hold like the line, when to clog the middle. And I think that balance has just been so critical in the way Benfica have been able to play and prog- uh, progress. So credit to them, credit to Roger Schmidt, Roger Schmidt, whatever I'm supposed to call him. Uh, well done to him uh, for uh, top of the group. Well done indeed. And it does make PSG's uh, traversing through the knockout stage a little trickier because now uh, finishing second in that group, they'll like uh, they'll have. Real Madrid or Bayern or City or Napoli among the potential matchups, whereas Benfica will have um, Inter Milan, Eintracht and uh, the likes of Bruges, which knows no uh, pushovers, but uh, perhaps PSG's failure might come even sooner in this contest. Who knows? Joe, um, I just mentioned Bruges there, and yeah. they, they were joined by Porto in their group in getting out of it. Uh, two surprise packages there. Yeah, absolutely. Club Bruges finished second behind Porto in Group B ahead of Bayer Leverkusen and Atletico Madrid. I think if you were talking about the two teams that you thought would get out of this group, for me, it probably would have been Atleti. certainly would have been Atleti and likely Bayer Leverkusen along with them. So the fact that both Bruges 
and Porto make it out is great. Club Bruges will start there, finishing second. Like I said, they kind of got battered in open play in this group. Like, they were not really the better team in most of these games, but they had the best player in almost every game that was played, and it was a bit of a surprise package in Simon Mignolet. He was the best goalkeeper in the group stage and saved Bruges almost a goal a game based off of the the post-shot expected goals metric that Opta has on FB Ref. He saved them almost a goal per game, which is so much value. That adds so much value to a team. That is what gets you through the Champions League group stage performances like that. Now, it wasn't flawless from Mignolet. He had good games and games that weren't so good, but he deserves so much credit, and you could see the emotion on his face. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago when Bruges locked up their spot in the round of 16. So that's a great story in and of itself. And then Porto. Oh, Porto, come on. I mean, this always had to be something that I got to talk about. Top of Group B, <laughs> Taremi is unreal. He's, he's so good, which is concerning for U.S. men's national team fans. But he is phenomenal. Five goals in the group stage. He's so composed in the box. Porto under Sergio Canseso know exactly how they want to play in European competitions. They're not particularly open. They'll step up and engage you higher up the field, but they are looking to attack and transition. And they did have a very good attack in this group stage. One of the best in the competition so far. Like I said, Canseso has a way of playing. Players like Toremi make that possible. There's more talent in this team. I, I like this Porto group, and they've played spoiler before in past editions of the Champions League. They could very much do that again this year. Indeed. Uh, I'd like to give a shout out to Milan for reaching knockout stages for the first time in eight years with a 4-0 win over Red Bull Salzburg on the final day. The final, Taylor, is in Istanbul. Uh, Liverpool are still in the contest. We'll see about that. Well, <laughs> uh, we've been saying that every year for the last yeah. three years okay. so. <laughs> in theory the final is in Istanbul and we have Liverpool and Milan still live in the contest I think um, redemption story incoming for Milan there what do you say Taylor? I think they already got that didn't they? didn't they go on to win? To win? Yeah, in 2007 like, in fact yeah. two years later they actually got their redemption you're quite so right no, but so now it's the grudge match they each won one <laughs> now it's the title decider so yeah let's make that happen Yes, indeed. I'd like to also give a shout-out to Rico Lewis, the 17-year-old forward for Manchester City, who scored on his debut in that comeback 3-1 win over Sevilla. He's been on the books at City since he was eight years old. So, yeah, their academy's doing well, Taylor. For at least one of the academies They were paying him at, at an eight-year-old? I'm confused. Yeah, Pep picked him up from nursery every yeah. day. <laughs> And then berated him for being one yard too wide in training. Yeah. Yeah. So actually, we want to have positional play by the crib, please. Yeah. We need you yeah. to be in this spot. You need to have fluid rotations with Tommy over the. Ah, I can't even deal with this right now. Your ABCs are crap. <laughs> yeah. Wow. He's eight. He wasn't in a crib, surely. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Yeah. Not my best, but you know, you get the idea. <laughs> oh, wonderful stuff. Uh, why don't we finish up the episode by talking about uh, the the state of play in the contest? Who are the favorites at this point? Uh, Taylor, I come to Bayern Munich, who've won all six matches of the yeah, group them. stage for the third time. <laughs> the third time they've done it. it is, is it just them? Is that the answer? I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, when Eric Chupamoteng is is uh, unstoppable goal scoring machine that he is, I, I guess so. He is he is mm. the new Robert Lewandowski, which Graham and I have talked about a bunch. Uh, it, it's it makes Bayern. Uh, I mean, not just that. Many things make Bayern fun, but that is certainly fun. But yeah, you, the, just the talent, the way they're able to play. It seems like Nagelsmann has made that team his own, even though he was coming in for criticism not too long ago. Now it just seems like he's he's got a lot of buy-in. They feel very dominant. Uh, so I, they seem like they're going to be uh, tough to knock off. Real Madrid continue to do Real Madrid things, which is get results, make it to the knockout round, keep things going. And then, I mean, Man City... Uh, I think with the acquisition of Erling Haaland, I'm not breaking any new ground here, but I think just this seems to be the year that they're prioritizing winning. So I won't be surprised if the the path to the to the cup allows for it for us to have a Man City Bayern final. Oh, that would be nice, wouldn't it? Any any more takers on the, on the favorites besides Bayern and and Man mm. City? Anyone? Yeah, Bayern are definitely in, in in my top five. So I think. Four of those five teams on, would Grant. have been in my... Bayern pred- are in your, t- in your top five, please. I mean, that, that's pretty extreme opinion there. Go on. <laughs> so I did, I did a little ranking in my notes. They're third in my rankings. What? Um, yeah, so City I think four first. of my five... Behind Napoli and Napoli. I got you, Graham. <laughs> I really did want to put Napoli higher than, than I did, but uh, yeah. yeah, reason maybe stopped me from, from doing <laughs> Wait, that. So four, four coward, of the five... Graham can, I guess it? can I guess it? Can I guess it? Is it Man okay, City top? Uh, yes, Manchester City are top. Okay. Now, see, now I run into the problem because I would have definitely had Bayern. You had Bayern fourth? Third. No, third. Uh, Madrid. Third. I'm saying Real Madrid is second for you. Guys. Yeah, that's I think- correct. Yeah. Ha! 
And then... I'm then it's Bayern Munich. So then you've got yeah. fourth and fifth to go. PSG. Correct. Oh, what? Napoli. Yes. Joe's, oh, really? Joe, I would have thought oh, you were in this room Liverpool. with me. There we go. <laughs> Graham, look over so your that, left that's shoulder. What, that was the point I was, I was trying to get to, was four of, the, four of the five would have been in my predicted challenges before the start of the season. I've swapped out Liverpool for Napoli in, in, that, in that fifth spot. Yeah, I have Napoli sixth. I also did a similar ranking. I have Bayern and City sort of as just joint top, and then PSG sort of as joint third and fourth because they're both pure chaos so much of the time. And then I have Napoli fifth and Liverpool right underneath them. I'm not... I'm not fully convinced by Liverpool, but I do think they've rebounded pretty heavily from some of the embarrassing moments they had in this group stage. There's a lot of work to be done, but I can see Jurgen Klopp prioritizing the Champions League over the league, uh, other than just getting back into the Champions League spots in the Premier League, which I do think is doable for them, if not you know the easiest task. I can see Liverpool sort of going for it in the Champions League and committing a lot of resources there. And I, I think they might be still in this favorites group if just outside maybe that top four, top five. I can't believe neither of you had Rangers in there. I really think next round they're going to turn it around. <laughs> yeah, man, you're yeah. you're just as bad as Ryan Taylor. <laughs> that, that's the ultimate redemption arc there. Um, I, I think one last question from me: Was this a good group stage? I'm going to say Taylor, it was very much so uh, for a couple of reasons. Not just that we had some pretty good games uh, and matchups and and good groups in this one, and, and some quite well balanced and quite unbalanced groups, which I think is quite entertaining in its own right. But this was a truncated period. It was, you know, it's a much smaller group stage. And I think we had some, some more surprises than we'd usually expect. Like yeah. from the 60, from the 16 teams who go through, you could probably make a good estimate at 12 or 13 who would have gone through. Whereas in this year, I don't think that was the case. Yeah, I, I think it will be interesting because I would agree. I think it is a group, a really interesting group stage overall. But sometimes when we want the FA Cup to be two lesser known clubs, we don't always want it to be like Man City versus Liverpool. And then when you do get a, a sort of like two less, less covered teams, if you get Crystal Palace and Wigan in a final or whatever that one was, uh, then suddenly you don't have nearly as much interest. And, and, and so I wonder if, if there will still be that much or as much interest if like some of those smaller teams continue to make it through. I would hope that that would make it more exciting because we get some new blood, we get new faces in there. I do think some of the teams that made it to the knockout round, uh, Bruga looking in your direction, their, their recent run of form is not as inspiring. I have a feeling we, we will not mm. have them in the competition all that much longer. But I think for some of those big clubs not making it, for the drama of Group D, and just for some of the back and forth of some of the bigger games, especially with Napoli just being so entertaining to watch, I think absolutely it's been a very fun group yeah. stage. I, th- I think I'm out of step with the rest of you guys on this because I'm not totally sure it was a great group stage. So I, I get what you're saying, Ryan, about some upsets, but I've just kind of gone, glanced through the groups there. And like the only one I can make a really strong argument for being a big upset is maybe Juventus going out. But even then, Benfica and PSG are in that group. Um, oh, sorry. Atletico Madrid. Sorry. Atletico Madrid is a big upset. So that's one, right? The, the rest of them, though, Napoli, Ajax, like I think there wasn't much between those before the start of the season. And I just think, I look at, there were some good storylines. So Napoli have been great to watch. Barcelona going out was fun. But the big matches we highlighted all the way back when the draw was made... I don't, I don't think they really lit up in the way that they hope, we hoped they, they, they would. So the two Bayern Barca matches didn't quite live up to expectations, particularly the second one at the camp now, which was very one-sided. And then the Chelsea AC Milan matches, they were also pretty disappointing in that we didn't get the best of AC Milan in those games and they, and they lost both matches convincingly. I think the best match was undoubtedly the 3-3 draw between Barcelona yep. and Inter Milan. Yep. That, that was an incredible match. Mm. And that was obviously the night that Barcelona were essentially knocked out of the Champions League. So there's a, there's a memorable outcome of that as well. But that's probably the only match that I'll likely remember from this group stage a year from now. I think everything else was kind of... Another thing, final point, the other thing was a lot of the groups apart from Group D were essentially sewn up by the time the time we got to the last round of fixtures. So I was very aware of that as I was watching the games on Tuesday and Wednesday this week was where is my eye drawing? And obviously you had drama with the, the Tottenham-Marseille game in that group. But everywhere else, it was kind of about who was going to finish in the Europa League places, who was going to finish in top, rather than actually who was going into the last 16. So, yeah, I think I'm maybe slightly out of step in that. I think I think there have been better group stages, and I'm, I'm very much looking forward to the last 16 because I'm hoping for a little bit more drama in some of the individual matches. Graham, I have a question. Uh, I hear you entirely. Do you think the World Cup coming up 
is part of that. Because I, I think for me, it's hard for me to be at this point solely focused on uh, the Champions League, the end of the group stage, uh, like the Premier League, a few games to go. It just feels like now we've got this huge looming thing. I'm sort of turning my attention to that. And I do wonder how much it has taken my attention off of the Champions League and an abbreviated Champions League at that. Yeah, perhaps. It wouldn't surprise me if a lot of players are, are thinking of that. Obviously, we have seen injuries. The, the the dynamic with this World Cup is very different with the injury situation because in the past, a, a two, three-week injury doesn't rule you out of the World Cup. And at the moment, because there's only six days between the end of the European season or the break in the, end, the European season and then the, the start of the World Cup, um, I don't know whether... I'm reading too much into players' mindsets to suggest that they might be holding back a little bit, but I think it would be it would be natural if if they were because that World Cup is 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 so close. It very much feels like um, Tottenham in particular. I've seen this argument made about Tottenham and Antonio Conte a number of times, and and there's been some quotes from him which kind of suggest he thinks this season is going to be very different, and so Spurs are kind of playing within themselves deliberately at the moment because in the oh. second half of the season they feel like they're, they're going to have more energy. They're a second and half gonna- team, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> (laughs) So there's a theory that Antonio Conte has maybe gamed the system a little bit and and has figured out this season's going to be like no other season. I guess we'll get some proof on on whether he's he's right in that after the World Cup. But it is interesting to think of the different connotations and permutations of how this World Cup is going to change the season as a whole. Maybe maybe his English just still isn't isn't good enough. And when he said, we will be a second half team, they took him literally and they win the second half every single time and just play really poorly (laughs) in the first half. Maybe it's both. Maybe he's got them prepared to be good in both. Both halves in the second part of the season. Uh, I'm all I'm all aboard this this theory, Graham. Wow, it's like it's- he's Christopher Nolan has written the script of this Tottenham season. I'm enjoying that. That's a great theory. Very good uh, and a very good episode, gents. Uh, the last thing to say is that uh, the draw will be held at 11 a.m. local time on Monday, November 7th, for the Champions League round of 16. That is, it's going to be held at UEFA headquarters in Switzerland at the House of European Football, which I didn't know was a thing at UEFA headquarters, but there you go. Uh, one last thing from me. Graham, did you know that Liverpool can only draw Real Madrid, Bayern, Porto, or Benfica? Because the other three English teams came top of their groups. Uh, I didn't know that until now, but that makes sense. So, <laughs> thank you. Liverpool, only English side not to top its group in this one. So we shall see uh, what comes out in that draw. But for now, Graham Ruthven, I'm sorry I teased um, your host city at the start of no, the I'm, no, I'm not. not. I'm sorry, I'm not. No. <laughs> yeah, he's not sorry at all. No. It's okay. I have, I have a, a good feeling that I'm going to get my own back at, at the World Cup. Uh, I'm growing in confidence as England's confidence starts to sink, it feels like. So... It's okay. I'm, I'm just, yeah. store, I'm just uh, keeping my chips close mm. to my close to my chest. That feels right. That feels right. I'm going to get my comeuppance. Uh, I'm going to get a spoonful of medicine at the World Cup. I feel it coming. Taylor Rockwell, thank you very much for your contributions as always, sir. My pleasure, my friend. Joe Lowry, pleasure, bud. Right back at you. Listener, pleasure with you in joining us on this episode too. We'll be back on the feed very shortly. But for now, bye. Bye. 